My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. Like, oh, here we go, Mark. Off again with your... Mark being Mark again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air, it's like therapy, you know? If I can't talk to my family about this stuff, I'll talk to you, Matt, and all our listeners. Yeah, so who are we talking about today, Matt? nature of nature has mystified curious minds since the dawn of humanity, when ancient revelations were recorded in stone. Since then, man has found a myriad of ways to record information, yet few have innovated in the way of receiving that information. Today's guest is amongst the few who have. As a dowser, stonemason, and geographer, Peter Shampoo has translated his intimate knowledge of the living earth and lithosphere into the complex art and science known as Arkholm geometry, measuring and mapping out the biological, energetic, cultural, and metaphysical patterns into a framework that he calls the Gaia Matrix. I'm Mystic Mark, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast with Peter Shampoo. The one I've worked the most with is the Kachina Lay, which comes out of the sacred mountain of Cuchama or Mount uh, Tequete down in the Mexico-California border. And that, that goes up through uh, Hopi land, through the San Francisco peaks, through Hopi land, through Shiprock, through Crestone, Colorado, through the Great Lakes, along the Ottawa River, connecting Ottawa to Montreal, Mount Katahdin, and it goes up into Nova Scotia. So it's, you know, all the way along that line, there's this mythic landscape of native culture, giants that are sleeping, or the Kachina, I call it the Kachina Lay because I first came across it because of a straight line between San Francisco peaks and Hopi land where, you know, the Kachinas would bring water solicited by the snake dancers, the Hopi Mesa. So I said, well, if, you know, that's gotta be a ley line. The 17th chapter in your book, Gaia Matrix, if we could. And then you had some some stuff you shared in the email that I'd love to get into as well. But, you know, the first time we had you here was such an awesome conversation. We really had a broad sort of spectrum view of everything you've been working on. And I was really grateful to have made it happen. I've listened to the episode back. It's one of the few times I've ever listened to my own podcast. but. I got to say, I was really impressed and I, I'm, I'm glad you made it back here, but I don't know if we spent enough time as much as I would like on the, on that one particular aspect. So if you would, could you maybe take us back to that, the Masonic age and how this connects to the Gaia matrix? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. The Masonic age. 
Yeah, the Masonic Age was really the the, the Egyptian revival. That's that's really when well, when things got going in a big way here in the states. But it was the United States was a, a Masonic experiment, and the, 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 there's a lot of power brokers at play. You know that were Masons. If you ever wanted to get anywhere in business, you had to be a Mason. And and, and our founding fathers, of course, were Masons. In the 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 actual United States Capitol, Washington D.C. Well, you know that, that that's really a prime example of <laughs> Masons at work. You know, I mean the, the geometry of that city and neoclassical architecture. It, it was all, all in an effort to create a civilization. You know, like uh, civilizations that that have lasted a thousand years tend to incorporate sacred geometry in their design. You know, Greece, Rome, you know, whatever, you know, these, these ancient cultures, uh, Egypt, because it nests, it nests the culture into the uh, fabric of the land. So while in, in Europe and such, the church was the, the one that was uh, going around laying, laying down foundations for cathedrals at sacred sites, like, like uh, Shark Cathedral was put on a uh, ancient Druid holy grove. So, you know, that, that syncretism of laying laying sacred sacred sites on top of one another, it's, you know, one culture taking over the next. It's, it was pretty popular in Europe, but it was done by the church. It usually is done by religious organizations, but here in the States, it was done by the Masons. You know, one, one of, for instance, one of the most sacred sites in, 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 in native consciousness is Pipestone, Minnesota, where, where the pipes from the, where the stone for the God, it was a perfect kind of rock. It, you know, wouldn't crack under heat. And it was easy to carve. The Masons bought that quarry and actually built their lodge there in Pipestone, Minnesota, out of that rock. But you know they, they still own the quarry, so that's kind of like by owning that quarry, they they are you know as a consciousness are are, are connected to all the Chinupas everywhere. There there's a Chinupa, you know, with that kind of rock. But uh, back to Washington, you know, old Georgie there, he was a uh, you know thirty third degree Mason and uh, a surveyor. So, you know, there's a great deal of debate about where to put the capital city. And George Washington was the one that actually determined the site. And where it is, is right on the East Coast ley line, the, which I call the Acadian ley. And they seem to have been aware of this ancient, or not ancient, but in, in those old times there, they called it the Satan's axes because anything west of there was Holland wilderness and east of there was was a, you know, a civilization, if you will, or, you know, settled settlements. So that, that line going down through, which I call the Acadian lay goes down through, you know, from Nova Scotia, through Boston, New Haven, New York City, Trenton, Philly, Baltimore, Washington, DC, Atlanta, Georgia, down to Mexico City, and, and, and you know, just a dead straight line, and it goes right through the center of Washington D.C. So, so the where you know the axis where, where Washington placed the city was right on that ley line. You know, the, 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 uh, goes right through the center of the the D.C. diamond. So that D.C. diamond that was laid out by a Moore. Black fellow, you know, they they didn't have uh, at the time they they couldn't really. Uh, survey with stars. The only people who knew how to do that were the Arabic peoples. So th there was this fellow that, that they, they hired to uh, lay out the Washington DC diamond. 
which is not, now is cut in half because of the Civil War. Uh, Arlington, Virginia, you know, is is the county that that makes up half of the diamond, and then D.C. is the other half of the diamond. Well, that north-south axis of the diamond is on the seventy-seventh parallel. So, you know, everything with the Masons is all about number, 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 number. They try to try to you know, it's frequency. And that's, it's a spiritual number. It's an angelic number. You know, it's one of the numbers of power and mastery and such. But as well, that line, if you take that, that, that 77th longitude, that, that's what I was referring to with the 77, 77th longitude goes up north, goes right through the Iroquois Confederacy's home fire, the, the, where the Taradao yeah, had the central fire of the Iroquois Confederacy. So, and then that's, that's where we got our, our, you know, our design for our federation was through the Iroquois Confederacy. So by having that, that line going right through the Iroquois Confederacy, they, they, it's this syn- syncretic overlay that was placed that, that, that connected one site to another. So, you know, there's, there's some, there's some ceremonial magic going on there. Wow. Uh, since then, uh, since I wrote the book, I, I've done more research and, and found that the, the, there, there's a quite a patterning of the placement of cities in, in a five proportion between one another. I, I you know, I, I've got a study if, you know, if anybody wants to get a copy of it, they can send it to them, but they really look like they were, they were creating an earth grid out of the cities. Absolutely. Well, I like, well, like for instance, Vermont, they, they didn't, they didn't know, you know, okay, where do we put the capital? It should be in Windsor. And they ended up putting it in Montpelier. And so if you go from Boston through Montpelier, it goes right to Montreal, another Masonic city. Right. And, and, Montre- and Montpelier is at the five proportion that the life-giving ratio between Montpelier, or between Montreal and Boston. So, so that, you know, the Boston was one of the primary Masonic lodges and, and Montreal was another. So they, 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 they placed Montpelier there and put that gold dome on top of its capital and, you know, to, to hold, hold that frequency of light. So, I mean, I, I think this, the Masons were, you know, altruistic in their efforts, but you no know, power corrupts. Absolutely. And, you know, so a few of them got out of control and, you know, there, there's ceremonial magic being used down, you know, for instance, down by you in the Skull and Bones Club with the skull of, of Geronimo. I'm so uh, glad you brought that up, Peter. As a matter of fact, yesterday on 322, the day we were supposed to have this conversation, I'm, I'm sure you know the significance of 322 as it pertains to Skull and Bones. The reason I had to delay was because I conducted a walking tour of uh, a small group of people, and we took a walk from the bottom of High Street, right about where their tomb is, up to the cemetery where the intersection of High Street and Grove is. And the person who built the arcway that goes, you know, you walk through it to get to the cemetery is the same person that built the, I think, the most recent renovation to the Skull and Bones tomb. But when you brought up the Pipestone, I immediately thought of how the Skull and Bones tomb is built from Portland Brownstone, which for those, you know, 
local or familiar with Connecticut, you'll know there's a town uh, along the Connecticut River called Portland where there's this big gorge or, or I forget the proper term for it, but it's like a quarry that's now filled with water where they had, mm-hmm. you know, mined all of this brownstone and now people swim in it. It's like an outdoor adventure park. Oh, nice. Right. Yeah. So, but yeah, the, I definitely think that there's some significance there. I mean, I'm not versed on the Native American history of that particular place, but a little some ways south of there is the uh, Matamoros State Park, which I believe we talked about our first time uh, conversing, where there's you know n- local Native American lore of uh, a great chief that lives underground and makes all these rumblings, and people even uh, up into this day can hear these you know ominous noises that come from the ground there. But I definitely think okay. that Skull and Bones is particularly to to in the equation when we look at the you know particularly how the masons have co-opted this energy grid that the people who were here prior had many many different ways of connecting with i mean we talk about shamans who like levitate across these ley lines or or astral travel through these ley lines and the mounds were obviously very significant but it seems to me like when we look at Skull and Bones, they have a very acute interest in the Native Americans. And I wonder if there's a sort of spiritual warfare at play. I, I think it's, uh, it's a kingship thing. You know, Yale is a, is a kingmaker. And uh, so, yeah, there, there, there is a spiritual warfare thing going on there. They're, you know, like Peabody Yale is, is loaded with all these Native artifacts. That, that never are never shown to the public. They're just down in the basement somewhere. That you know, it's not not there for a museum. There's just a collection. And you know, I understand uh, that there's just a horde of artifacts from the from Machu Picchu in there. Wow. And and Machu Picchu, I think we we said prior to this, you know, in our last conversation, is is right on the longitudinal axis of of, of New Haven. So it's 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 used as uh, to empower. Uh, I, I believe you know as a you know whether they 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 are aware of it or not, it, it does empower the, the 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 faculty, the people, the 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 institution of Yale, the, the institution of the Skull and Bones Club. You know that those those artifacts. So so you get uh, you know a, a king like Geronimo, th- then you're 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 taking the power that that is the. The, the the spirit of America and making it your own. You know, like you're 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 like taking that power from them as a as a group. Right. Uh, so Wow. Yeah, it, it's something very personal to me. I mean, I met someone who is a um relative, so to speak. He comes from Arizona. His tribe is a descendant of Geronimo's group of people and he came to New Haven in a sort of uh, spiritual kinship, you know, to develop that connection with Geronimo to bring his spirit some peace. And when I was just, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, a young college student, I ran into this guy and he really, you know, flipped my world upside down and taught me these things about skull and bones and and how they had, you know, done what they did to Geronimo. And recently I found another corroborating article story of some Chicago businessmen out on a hunting party who wrangled this outlaw named the Apache kid. And at the end of the newspaper article, they said that they sent his skull and crossbones to Yale skull and bones. 
you know, these guys out in Arizona, it's just, you know, there's lots of evidence of this kind of thing happening. And then not to mention maybe the grave robbing association that a medical school in that time period would probably want to keep under wraps, right? We, we know that there, there's a fascination yeah. with cadavers. Benjamin Franklin, you know, fits into the equation there as well. It's sick the way, the way they, they treated the native people, you know, they treated them like animals, like something to be studied, something, you know, like, like lab rats or something. And, and it, it felt as though it was their right to do what, you know, and take and do whatever they want because they, they, they consider them subhuman. And, and that's, you know, it's really, you know, the, the native mind and the native heart is just such a, a great gift to the collective consciousness that's, that's, has, has been long missed by the earth, by, by the collective, you know, we, we've lost our way as far as our relationship with planet, because we've disconnected from the native mind, that indigenous mind. We've, we, we've, we've become the pyramid mind, you know, the, the, you know, and, and all the whole Masonic thing was about the pyramid and, and, you know, top down power and, you know, debt slavery, you know, you name it, you know, multi-level marketing, you know, <laughs> it's just, it's, it's all, all the, the church, the state, it's all pyramidal. Right. And, and you know, when, when they, when they met the, I understand when, when Christopher Columbus came he, in his, in his journals, he, he wrote that the people that he found were Indios, not Indians, Indios in, in, you know, with God. You know, so, so that, that's something that really threatens the pyramidal mind, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the, the circular mind, if you will, of the indigenous people places, the, you know, one Tonka, the, the creator, the, uh, the source of all that is at the center. And then that's in your heart, you know? So, you know, that's like antithetical to any kind of pyramidal church or state. So they, they had to crush that, you know, like, you know, with a hard hammer because it was, it, 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 it was a sovereign relationship with, with creator, you know, it, it, no filters, you know, like, you know, they, they didn't, they didn't have to go through Jesus. They didn't have to go through Muhammad or any, any other, you know, church structure. And, you know, if you don't go through that, then, you know, where's the money coming from and where's the. Where's the power coming from? Where's the control of the people? How do we, how do we bring fear into them? You know, so, so it was like, you know, the, the native people were really, you know, they, they, they didn't really, I mean, they, they never experienced such a, such a spirit before. And, you know, it's just my work right now to, to bring that spirit back to, back to the fore and encourage that because, you know, bring, bring it, you know, with my work with earth rings and such, it's, it's like, you know, it's, it's return to the circle. Absolutely. And that's why it's such a pleasure to have you here. And, and you, you speak it into the uh, podcasting ether so well and bring it to mind in a, in a whole new way. And it's, it's so grounding too for people. You know, we get emails from people that listen to the show and so many people have been inspired by our previous conversation to take a look at where they live and, and re-examine what's really there. I mean, I really had that happen last summer in a big way, looking at all of the underlooked and undervalued sacred sites here in New England, you know, Gungiwam, which we talked about, and all of the amazing ones up yeah. up north, you know, and in New Hampshire and Vermont. But yeah, if if you will, I know there's been a lot of things going on. I've heard from 
friends that have interviewed you recently that you have some kind of some group, a men's group going on. But if you will, you know, for maybe people who haven't heard you before, could you explain to us how the Earth Rings sort of are mapped out and, and maybe give us a little 101 on, on how it connects to what's been going on in, in recent events with Ukraine? Yeah, yeah, sure. Briefly, Earth Rings are a, a completion of an arc that is in the lithosphere. You know, in the in the surface of the Earth, you, if you look at coastlines and such, you'll you'll see curvilinear forms, the Aleutian Islands, the Mexico California Arc, the Indonesia Arc, the coast of China. You know, so all all those you know it, it, those forms have a have a you know, are circular, that arc is, is, is circular in nature. So you can find, establish a radial point and then from that arc and, and then make a circle. And you'll find, you know, it's similar to a ley line in that when you make those circles, there, there, there are, are uh, sites that are along it that, that are of similar quality and energetic and, you know, have, have significance to this whole pattern. That, that, it, that it's showing. So in total, I, I've been working on, you know, over the past year, mapping out all the, all the earth rings I could find on the, in the planetary surface. And uh, one of the biggest ones is, you know, I mentioned the California, Mexico border. Well, that arc is, is centered in Shelburne Falls, Massachusetts, and it's the center of the North American tectonic plate. And it's the only plate that's circular in shape, you know, like Africa is like a five proportion. South America is like a three, four, five triangle. Eurasia, Russia is like a, a kind of a five, five rhomboid. So the, 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 these geometries of nature are, are really geometries of water. And water informs matter in a geometric way, flowers, bodies, humans, and the lithosphere too. So you, you have you have underneath the surface of the earth uh, about 200 to 400 miles down or something four to six, something like that is the is the ringwood eye layer of water where there's four oceans of water locked inside the planet. And every time there's a volcano that comes up, it's it, it comes up and there's a center point that's formed. And that's often a center point of what I'm finding is that these, these earth rings have the center point is that is volcanic. So some kind of uplift that's, that's occurred there. You know, the New Madrid Falls is one center. Shelburne Falls is another batholith uh, form that comes up. So, uh, yeah, it's in China, there's another one, the, the Ken Kenman Gates. That's the center of the Chinese ring. So, you know, it's, it's just a consistent thing. And, and my, you know, like I, I found that I first came across this working in New England, where I was working as a stonemason and seeing that the, the, the fracture, if I worked with the fracture, natural fracture of the rock, I could get more done in a day without having to cut new angles everywhere. But so I would just do that. And then I noticed that, you know, when I was quarrying out in the forest that that a lot of that fracture is uh, has the same angle that you see in the watershed, and that uh, started me thinking about the fractility of of the of the surface of the planet, and uh, so th that led me to, to to look at look for geometries of nature 
within the New England landscape. And I, I found that and it ended up being circular and it had a very specific geometry to it that was geometries of water. You know, water, water is a bonding angle of uh, 104.5, 103.5, that type of thing, which is essentially the Great Pyramid. So the Great Pyramid is a solid form of the water interfacing with the biosphere of the planet. Long conversation on the pyramid, so I won't go there. But, well, I guess I'll have to if I talk about Ukraine. <laughs> but it is, as, as time went on, as you know, well, you know, it, it, this is, it's repeatable, you know, like science, you know, if you do the same thing and you have the same results, then, you know, you have a, you have a working theory. And so this working theory, I had, uh, you know, well, what is it? And I started looking at the planet as a, as a cell and, and studying the cell, that the membrane of the cell is, is where all the consciousness is, you know, where all the signaling happens is in the membrane of the cell. The nucleus is just there for powering up things. And so, and I, embedded in that membrane are all these geometric shapes and, and rings that are called the integral membrane proteins that, that, that communicate between outside the cell and inside the cell. A cell gives it off something, it takes in something, and it's, you know, there's all this communication that goes on. So I, I'm, I'm feeling that as though the earth is a living cell, single-celled organism that, that has this membrane with this consciousness made up of people and, and all of the life, and, and, and that the information is being exchanged through these earth ranks. So if we can, you know, I'm offering these earth rings as, as a way in which we as a species can, can uh, work symbiotically with the planet and, and, you know, work co-creatively with the planet. So a lot of these earth rings seem to suggest a geopolitical arrangement. And Ukraine, specifically Chernobyl, or very near Chernobyl, is the center point of this earth ring that I discovered many years ago uh, that, that is defined by the, the arc made by the, the boot of Italy and Scandinavia and curving around over to the Ural Mountains, or the, that's the eastern boundary, down along the coast of, of the southern coast of Turkey and Greece. You know, so it creates this you know, curvilinear form and, you know, just another earth ring. And Ukraine is right at the center of that. So uh, uh, Kiev, uh, Kiev, I guess is, uh, I've always pronounced it Kiev, but I guess it's Kiev and how they pronounce it there. Somehow they changed it. it. <laughs> yeah, is the spiritual center of, you know, it's kind of like the Jerusalem of the Orthodox faith. Okay. And uh, St. Michael is the archangel that is kind of, you know, holds the energy there in Kiev. And it was a pilgrimage site for all of Russia. And it was from, it was from Kiev that the whole Russian gestalt came, came from the whole Russian worldview, the, the identity of who, you know, being a Russian is all about. So, you know, losing, losing Ukraine, I, I fear that, that Russia was losing its sense of identity. And, and it, it, it needed that for, you know, the sake of its, you know, well, who are we if we don't have Ukraine? You know, the the, the breadbasket. You know, so it feeds Ukraine feeds six hundred million people. So it's it's really it, it's a critical point because there's there's two halves of a whole there that are that are in in conflict, 
you know, the, the whole Russian block on one side and the NATO block on the other. It's like both of them are, are looking towards supremacy over the other. So, so the, the NATO forces keep pushing, 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 you know, they put those bio labs pushing, 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 you know, next to Russia, more and more armaments next to Russia. And, and you know, as, as a way to force Russia's hand to really, you know, to, to, to create this supremacy. So where's this, where's this all come from? You know, why can't we all just look together, you know, as Rodney King said, and that if you, if you take the, the meridian, the, the, that goes through that center point of the Ukraine peninsula or the Ukraine uh, earth ring, it's, it's the same line as essentially the 30th parallel east, 30th meridian east. And that's, that goes right through the Great Pyramid. So the Great Pyramid is, it, it is, is what is attenuating the earth cell and its membrane to come into pyramidal consciousness. Now, when you project the edges off of the Great Pyramid, uh, for instance, the southeast edge goes right through the Kaaba in, Mexico, in, in, in Mecca, you know, the, the black stone right there in that black cube. I mean, right, couldn't be more accurate, you know, as if by design that was placed right there on that, on that ley line that comes off of the Great Pyramid. You go uh, northeast and it goes through the Baha'i Temple and up through, you know, Mount Hebron and, you know, all the Jewish holy places, uh, uh, Mount Carmel. And, uh, you know, so th there's a lot of religions involved to, with, with this setup of the, of the Great Pyramid. And it's like uh, the Great Pyramid is, is, is in training that, that, that pyramidal consciousness into religion, into power, into, into structure. So... Where uh, that north-south line is, which is essentially the, the Nile Meridian, which is, you know, I mean, the Nile River is this really powerful uh, energy form. But the Nile River the, is the same diameter as the moon. So there's this uh, resonant uh, conversation between the, the two. Between the two. Then you got all this, all the stuff of the moon being a satellite and, and a uh, alien uh, constructor. It was that we were here to maintain our prison planet. Well, and if it was, it would have been maybe so, in that time period prior to the great flood and, and, and when, you know, certain folks talk about Saturn being, you know, this uh, sort of prominent body, luminary body in the sky, almost like a, a sun. Have you, have you looked into that theory at all? Yeah. 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 I've, I've looked into that as the, you know, that, that the year before the flood, there was a, there, there was a canopy of ice. You know, that's where all the water came from was the canopy of ice and, and, and that, that canopy uh, created a lens so we could see the planets a lot clearer as if, you know, it's like a telescope, you know, that they were very much closer. And so you see a lot of ancient petroglyphs and such that show, you know, Saturn and Jupiter, you know, as, as, as if it's, you know, you're looking through a telescope and, they, oh, they must have had a telescope. No, they, you know, they had this. This, this canopy of ice that, that made made the stars and planets seem all much closer. Right. And you talk about the pyramid being sort of like this, you know, anchor, anchoring the collective planetary consciousness into a sort of solid state. Do you think the moon 
was placed for a similar uh, reason. I'm speculating, of course, but w- what are your thoughts on on, well, on the moon? There's a lot of studies of the pyramid that, that related directly to the moon. So I think the two are in a work in concert with one another. Okay. And would that be true for every pyramid or is the Great Pyramid the only candidate? Well, that particular one has the, the real tight geometry in that right. way. Right. I think that there was a cult of the pyramid that, that went out from there. And, you know, so you find stuff all over the place. You pyramids all over the planet. There's, there's some interesting work done by this man by the name of John Shaughnessy. He's, he lives up in Dalton, Mass. And he, he noticed that the pyramids of the world are at a 180 degree opposite side of the planet to a major volcanic structures. So he, he feels as though the, the uh, pyramids were placed there to create a, to harmonize the, the, the destructive forces of, of uh, volcanoes. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And would that give any sort of, or lend any thoughts towards maybe the purpose? Because we, you know, going back to our conversation about Native Americans, we're told by the sort of authority on archaeology and anthropology that these places were not maybe built for sacrificial means, but then along the way, somehow that became a major part of their practices of sacrificing people on the pyramids. How, does that play into this equation at all? Well, prior to the flood, there was a, there was a whole different quality of atmosphere and energy in the planet. You know, the, the, the standing stones hummed, you know, over there in England, you had that whole megalithic culture. Right. And, and the, you know, prior to the advent of modern fertilizers, how, how would you fertilize your fields? You know, so they, they would they would place these big megaliths in the center of these fields, and, and it would it would ground the telluric energies and the electromagnetic energies, lightning, and, and bring that bring that that nitrogen into the soil and make things sweeter. And so there there was, you know, any kind of prodigious ever effort like that to move these great stones and build these towers and such. Uh, had to benefit the people somehow. And I feel agriculture was, was what was, you know, in, in, in an archeological or archeological, uh, yeah. In, in uh, archeological record shows that the bone structure improved after the construction of stone circles. Wow. So it show, showed that food sources right, were greatly improved when, when they, when they work with these, these energies. But I think it's, again, you know, it's after, after the the fall of of the waters, th- there wasn't that that charge within the atmosphere as it was before. So all those sites were abandoned, and the ones that that continued in use were kept going by sacrificing the life force of a human. You know, so there was kind of a degradation of of, a, of an old practice where where there was this, this life-giving energy, but, you know, well, what do we do now, you know? So they resorted to human sacrifice. Right. And, you know, and of course, a lot of that might have been population control too, you know. Uh, it's a sad, some sad histories there. Absolutely. Yeah, and when you look at the you know, Gaia matrix and how you've mapped out that city ley line, it definitely makes one wonder if uh, those same practices that were going on all the way down in Mexico have kind of shifted up towards, you know, the, you know, military 
branch of the entire world, it seems, right? Washington, D.C. And right. Skull and Bones, through my research, is very much a military sort of outfit. You know, their whole thing is geared through Hegelianism, which is, you know, a product of this Prussian-German war state that was going on in the 1800s. Yeah, yeah, that ley line. Going up the East Coast is, if you take it across the pond, it goes through, you know, it's, it's like the proverbial line in the sand through through Europe. You know, like it goes right through Dublin and London, you know, to talk about, <laughs> you know, two, two opposing forces there. And then Brussels, you know, where where the uh, European Union is, but then it continues on through the Franco-German border where you find Alsace-Lorraine and the Waterloo and the Battle of the Bulge. And it goes right down through Kosovo and Yugoslavia where all that conflict of East, West, North, South all takes place. And through ancient Troy, you know, there's uh, more, more bloodshed and warfare. And it, it ends up going into Amman, Jordan, where the worship of Baal was with that, that, that whole human sacrifice thing there. So you have the, these two roots of, you know, the Titoacan over in Mexico City as being, you know, human sacrifice over there. Then you got the human sacrifice of Baal at the other end, and then all the human sacrifice in between in the military industrial complex that, that, that has supported the American culture since its start, you know, as, you know, profit through suffering model. So, you know, that, that, that needs to change, you know, it's just, it's, it, these ley lines get entrained and the, the more you have wars on them, the more wars occur on them. So we really need to start uh, shifting that frequency, but by, by doing things of, you know, the opposite, you know, like, more love making. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Make love on war, uh, ley lines uh, for, for world service. I wonder how much of that went on in the, in the sixties. Did they ever do like a proto uh, sort of pseudo Woodstock at Gettysburg or something like that? That would have been interesting to see. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there, there, there was, there was a gal that contacted me who was, who was doing part of this, uh, or, orgasm for peace. Okay. Uh, no, she was trying to do strategic orgasms. <laughs> Just herself? Well, no, she was, you know, working on getting a lot of people. It was actually a, it was, it was a, it was a global movement at the time, you know, to, you know, one of those things, uh, orgasms for peace. Well, and, I, think, you know, so. I think there's a couple podcasts that do something like that. <laughs> I'm sure. But when it comes to, you know, solutions, we definitely always want to, orient the conversation towards the solutions. I know last time we spoke, you said you're working on rewatering the West. I recently had a really great conversation with a guy named Mitch who uses Orgone to bust towers. And he's even seen uh, some cloud seeding happen from certain Orgone placements, especially in conjunction with where, you know, 5G towers are and different other installments of that nature. Have you looked into Orgone at all or thought about the, uh, you know, this possibility? I know Wilhelm Reich is kind of famous for Orgone energy. It's not quite the same as what Mitch makes, but what are your thoughts on that? Well, I've used Orgone pucks in, in, in activating, well, specifically we're activating the Great Lakes. We placed a whole bunch of them all around the Great Lakes. Uh, and it was, it was the same kind of, it was the same design puck. 
Mm. And I, and I, I think, you know, when you have the same, same design, same setup, same size and place them, uh, geometric, you know, that's what we were doing around the great lakes. It, it, it activates the great lakes and draws in water and, you know, because, you know, water wants to bond with water and, and they, they, these orgone devices tend to attract water, attract clouds. Like, you know, what's his name? Wilhelm. Wilhelm. Well, you know, was, was doing the cloud busting stuff. And so, yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, orgone works. It's, it's, it's good stuff. Right on. Well, it's good to hear some corroboration there. But I know we talked a lot about stones and their ability to, to tap into these sort of unseen forces. Have you seen more success using stones with the same intention and purpose? Well, what I do when I'm out in the field and don't have orgone, I use a gold leaf. So as I, I place a gold leaf or gold, you know, the frequency of gold is, is something that, that connects the worlds. The, the, the Kogi of, of Northern South America, Venezuela, Colombia border and the, and the San, San Madre, Sierra Madre mountains there, they, they remained isolated for 500 years and kept the knowledge. And one of the pieces of knowledge was that, that gold is, is, a, is, is not a, you know, a monetary value, it's, it's only a spiritual value. So the Inca had all this gold because they were trying to ground his spiritual energy and transmit his spiritual energy between the earth and, and, the, and the cosmos. So the Kogi would, would place a gold effigies at their sacred sites. So with that in mind, I, I, I take, you know, whenever I create a medicine wheel, if, if I'm, you know, doing a large scale, like activation of a ley line across the country, I, I, I put in, well, I use a, a, a nine stone ring, which is, you know, the 369 of Tesla and everything else that's impl implied with it. But that, 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 that nine, the geometry, you come up with four polygons and those polygons have these like nested circles within them. And, and th those, those circles relate directly to the sizing of the planet. So when you put a, a, a neogram stone ring down in the, in the ground, it's communicating directly with the planet. And so the, the, the ley line gets activated because of that consistent frequency and, and pulse of nine. But to, to, to have a continuity through all the different stone circles, which are using different minerals, because I'm just using the stone that, that I find locally, I, I, I use gold leaf underneath each of the stone, each of the nine stones to, to act as an attenuator, to, 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 to connect the worlds and and connect those energies and get a, get a spiritual flow going. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And I have to ask, you know, considering the sort of ominous nature of some of these ley lines, do you think that, you know, activating them is a way to sort of purge that energy that sort of remained there over the course of time? Or are you, you know, avoiding those heavier, you know, more bogged down ley lines and activating maybe other ones that are lesser, uh, lesser known. Yeah, I've, I've done some work with the Eastern lay, but I, I it's, it's kind of hard to work with because it's so inundated with that, with, that, with those energies you just mentioned. Probably the, the one I've worked the most with is the Kachina lay, which comes out of the sacred mountain of Cuchama or Mount uh, Tequete down in the Mexico, California border. 
And that, that goes up through uh, Hopi land, through the San Francisco peaks, through Hopi land, through Ship Rock, through Crestone, Colorado, through the Great Lakes, along the Ottawa River, connecting Ottawa to Montreal, Mount Katahdin, and it goes up into Nova Scotia. So it's, you know, all the way along that line, there's this mythic landscape of native culture, you know, giants that are sleeping or, you know, the Kachina, I call it the Kachina Lay because uh, I first came across it because of a straight line between San Francisco peaks and Hopi land where, you know, the Kachinas would bring water solicited by the snake dancers, the Hopi Mesa. So I said, well, if, if, you know, that's got to be a ley line, you know, so I just extended it and it ended up being connected to all these other native sacred sites in a diagonal across the country. So it, it's, ley lines tend to be diagonal rather than north, south or east, west. And, and this, this one is, you know, like, you know, the main indigenous line that goes across the country. So I was, I was working that because the, the, there was a great drought that was happening in, in Navajo land. I had a buddy up there, was, you know, everybody was suffering because of lack of water for like seven years. And what I determined was uh, the, the reason why there was no water getting to Navajo land was because of the conflict between the Hopi and the Navajo. So I went and put a, a medicine wheel right on the border there in the disputed territories of, of Navajo land and Hopi land. And, uh, you know, a month later it started to rain and, you know, that rain crossed the border and, you know, it gave a pathway for the Kachinas to, to move through. So, you know, and, and, you know, like I was saying earlier, there, there's a consciousness that, that, that humans, you know, nature responds to the emotions of humans. That was something that Rudolf Steiner said. And, uh, you know, when, with all this conflict between the Hopi and Navajo, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's putting a stop to the flow of water. It's putting a stop to the flow of life, you know, between, you know, with the, both tribes. So, so I was, you know, I, I worked to mend those, you know, on a, on a quantum level and, you know, let them work it out how they, you know, how, how they'll work it out. You know, I'm not going to puppet it, puppet them at all. It's just. You know, here, here's a, here's an opening, you know, here's an opening for flow to happen. Right. That's awesome, man. And I, I think that's something that I tried to do with the walking tour yesterday being, you know, 322, I didn't want to, you know, make a big scene or anything, but I thought just being aware of these things on this day could maybe shift the energy in a positive way. And I think you're doing that to a science and it's really inspiring to, to see, I mean, the Kachina for, for people who aren't familiar, can you describe those a little bit? Cause I, my grandparents were quite the travelers. They drove all across the United States and they brought a little Kachina doll home with them as a souvenir from, I, I assume Arizona, but can you explain the, the significance of those? Oh, they're nature spirits, they're powers, they're the powers of nature in, in an animist expression. Right. Uh, you know, it's, you know, there, there, there's, I don't know, a lot of different kachinas, you know, the different purposes and now, uh, I can't, I can't really name them off, but the, the rain kachinas come from San Francisco peaks. They're in the, you know, the, the out here in the West, the mountains are what creates the, the water. So, so the heat 
the, the heat from the valley gets drawn up the side of the mountain and then it, it turns into a cloud and that cloud then, then you know, lightning and thunder and rain and, and then the clouds move out and then you, you have these monsoon monsoon storms that, that happen here in Arizona right in the summer so that's the the, the Hopi snake dance they do it every two years uh, it's specifically to uh, draw the water to their to their cornfields. And, and that's the water kachinas who live in the San Francisco Peaks. So, so there are different places where the kachinas live. Not like like one, one is San Francisco Peaks, another place is Shiprock. And, and those two places are in alignment with the Hopi Mesa, you know, where the snake dance is done. Right. So, so that's what what creates a that's what creates a ley line, a series of natural and cultural features that have a similar quality and and attribute. Right. Over over a distance. Well, and and I I think it's important to to ask maybe because I think there's a little bit of an association that the ley lines become like a road for these beings to travel along. How much stock do you put into that? I know there's this sort of lore of like the roads of the dead that like were created in England and other places to be like specifically for the souls to travel on, you know, they weren't designed for people to travel on. Do, do, they, do these ley lines function in a similar way? Yeah, yeah, I, I do believe they do. There's, a, there's, there's an extra amount of spirit along these lines. And it's, it's like almost, you know, the pathway of angels or something. Right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely, it definitely brings you know, a lot of positive, imaginative sort of makes you want to travel there, you know, but then you hear these stories of like skinwalkers and dogmen and these other maybe less, less friendly <laughs> beings that also travel these ley lines. And I don't know, it makes you think twice. I, I know local to to New England, there's the Bridgewater Triangle. They sort of see certain creatures there, but have you come across anything like that? Any stories that go along with that theory that these skinwalkers and such are using the ley lines to travel? Well, they, they, they certainly favor the uh, energetic, you know, they, they haunt the energetic places, you know, the places of power. Right. And it, it's like skinwalkers and those kind of discordant expressions of spirit, you know, kind of are are found where this lay, lay energy has short-circuited. Hmm. So, so they're, they're, they're just like an expression of, you know, a, a loose electric cable that's going around zapping people. Yeah, I, I think but we ought to recommend and, 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 and I And I think that they come into those places as a way to heal them. You know, like taking on the negative energies transforming them but well you no know, i mean it's, it's spirit spirit is always in service you know it's you know even the devil's in service right you know, it's just you know yeah everyone plays their their role yeah I, i'm glad you said that because i was going to ask you know maybe if people should go over to skinwalker ranch and place down some some enneagrams with the gold leaf on them but it sounds to me like the, the 
the right things already happening. You know, if this right things already happening. Yeah. yeah, it's transmuting. Yeah, that's uh, that, that's pretty close to the forty second parallel and the and the alignments of east west mountain ranges. You know, if you go across the forty second, you find a lot of east west mountain ranges. You know, the Caucasus Mountains, the Mount Holyoke. Uh, you know, just north of you, the Mount Holyoke Range goes east west, and and the Uinta Range, which the Skinwalker Ranch is right at the base of is also east west, and that's the that's the forty second parallel as well. Right, and that that forty second is uh, is like an empire line. It goes through Rome, it goes through uh, Beijing, it goes through Boston. A lot of the, the the Masons when they set up, you know, like, like surveyed the states, state boundaries. Forty second parallel is one of them that they use for, for the boundaries, you know, California, Oregon, Wyoming, Colorado, Connecticut, York, Massachusetts, right? Connecticut, Massachusetts, New York, Pennsylvania. Yeah. So, so it's, it's a frequency of power. So, so the, the, like the Skinwalker Ranch, you know, in my, you know, conversation with me, kind of like the, the discordant energies of, of, of these empires that, that are attenuating that particular latitude frequency of the planet, you know, the, the planet, the latitudes are frequency energetics, like the equator, the, you know, the 19.5 degree uh, uh, latitude, you know, has a lot of volcanoes on it and such. Right. You know, so like the solar plexus to the planet. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, so uh, considering, you know, your great knowledge of the earth, what are your thoughts on hollow earth and how they fit into this conversation. I, I wonder if, because recently I had a great conversation with a gentleman who's gone at great length to study a very specific area in Kentucky, the Somerset, in the Somerset area, it's called the Penny Royal Ridge. And a lot of strange things happen there. There's a very yeah. high level of, of magnetic uh, force, geomagnetic force in that area. And there also happens to be, you know, the largest cave system there, the Mammoth Caves. Yeah. Yeah. I, I you know, I, I have to say that I'm not really that versed on the inner earth. I, I've, I've looked briefly or, you know, read a couple of books on the subject. And it seems, seems to me that there's, that there's subterranean, you know, like, like Telos out in, out in Mount Shasta, for instance, it's, you know, there, there's a city underneath Mount Shasta, you know, people have gone there, you know, and gave testament to, you know, being there. And so, you know, they, they exist within these caverns. And I think uh, civilizations over time have, you know, especially when, you know, after the fall, things got really radiated here on the surface. And a lot, a lot of, a lot of uh, the hominoid species couldn't handle the sun, but us, you know, we can, but we can only handle it for a short, brief, you know, lifespan. But, you know, the, the, these other species of, of hominids are, you know, went underground and, and they, 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 they have their, their cities down there. And I have a, f a friend, Peter Moon, that uh, writes extensively about the, the underground cities of Romania, underneath Romania and the cave systems down there. Oh, wow. So, uh, yeah, it's, and there's, there's legends all over the planet that, you know, the, there's underground cities, you know, but right. as far as, as, you know, the, the whole Admiral Bird thing of, you know, going through the center and, you know, like having an interior sun and, and the, you know, the surface having a second surface, 
I don't know. I, the physics of it all just doesn't doesn't click with me. Understandably uh, so. Yeah, it is. It is one of the further out there theories. I mean, in this community, we have a lot of very militant people who will tell you the earth is flat and then you'll have a lot of very people who who will never even hear them out so it's hard to tell and i think hollow earth seems to be a safe a safe place to go compared to round or flat but i i've sort of resonated to just saying we live in a realm and, and whatever you you want to see you'll you'll find evidence to see it somehow but but yeah it it definitely Definitely feels like you could get on a small boat when when you start thinking in those terms, you know. But I want to know, you know, there's a lot of conversation about UFOs correlating with these ley lines, and people sometimes talk about them being like UFO highways. Have you seen that to be true through your research? Do you think that it's purely the, you know, east-west latitude and longitudinal lines or do you think that these ufos are following the more circular gaia matrix sort of earth rings that you're plotting well you know that seems like a good study to to engage and to just you know get the information from mufa mufo dot it out yeah yeah and dot it out see what see how they all do arrange but you know i mean you know, yeah there's a lot of you know there's one I mean, yeah, yeah they, they, they occur along the meridians and ley lines and, and certain latitudes that, you know, like the 37th, I think 37.5 or something like that latitude is, is, is like the UFO called the UFO highway across, across the country. And that's also the 3630, kind of very close to the 3630 where the, the uh, Missouri Compromise was, and it's also right there where the Trail of Tears was, and and the New Madrid seismic zone is, and you know, you know, I know some some Taos Pueblo folks that you know they go up to their Blue Lake, their sacred Blue Lake up there on Mount Wheeler, above them, and and then, you know they they often and that's right on the thirty seven on that the UFO highway, you know where Dulce is, where Area fifty one is, and you know so you get this you know, like an attenuation there of, of that specific thing. But that's also uh, very close to that, that 38 parallel, which is, you know, the, the, the where Washington DC is, where the border between, you know, North and South Korea. So there's a lot of this nuclear tension that's on that, that frequency, that, that line. So, and the UFOs have been shown that, that they're very concerned about nuclear energy. Then, you know, they go and switch off nuclear bombs, sites and stuff. And, you know, kind of surprised the generals. And, you know, so, you know, working that line, it also goes over through Hiroshima and Nagasaki and all that stuff, you know. So, again, it might, they might be like like skinwalkers working a frequency to to try to mitigate this, this nuclear threat. Right. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, I definitely, that's an optimistic take I'm willing to put stock in because it seems to me like, we have more people saying that these aliens are here to help us. You know, it seems like the conversation has shifted towards them being more of an intergalactic, interdimensional nature rather than, you know, from another plane, yeah. you know, from another place. So, yeah, I, I think that understanding the Earth's energy must be crucial to how they 
get here, wherever they're from, whether it be another dimension or or even you know underground or or in the ocean, you know, there's talk about under what is it USOs, right? Under um, yeah, underwater, unidentified submersible objects. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Peter, I, I feel like you know we could talk for great length of time, and I do want to have you back on. Unfortunately, I don't have the most time, but I do want to give you a chance to give people a big, you know a good idea what you're up to now, how they can support, how they can follow up with you. I hope that folks have picked up some of your books, the Moon River book and Gaia Matrix are two books that I own. I, I'm sure there's more that I have to pick up, but can you let us know what you're working on and what people can expect when they go and check out your work? You know, well, I apologize for my website. It's needing of updating for by many, many years. <laughs> and uh, my, my Moon Rivers and then Carbontero is out of print. I, I failed to sign my global agreement, so I haven't, you know, set that back up again. So, but Gaia Matrix is available. American Society of Dowsers Bookstore is, is a good source. Vortex Maps is another source for that. You know, they, they sell them for $135 on Amazon if you want to spend that much money, but... You know, other other sites are the you know thirty bucks for. You know, my my email and my, my website is uh, geometryofplace.com, and it's just my name on on Gmail. Uh, if you want to get a, get a hold of me, but my my present uh, focus of interest is uh, Wounded Knee. I went out there last uh, Wounded Knee in the Pine Ridge Reservation, South Dakota. I went out there last July, and found it to be a Masonic installation that has entrapped and and kind of bonded the, the the native consciousness as the as the omega point of the Indian wars. So there's you know all that Holocaust, all that native Holocaust, all the collective trauma is just in a big knot there around this this mass grave that was was ghosted. The 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 the, the band of Bigfoot was ghosted. They were the ghost dancers. And then that was a that was a power that the church just wouldn't put up with, and uh, they they went in there and and consciously circled these people in a sacred circle of death, and uh, killed them all. And you know over a nine hour period they hunted everyone down, just stabbing men, women, and children, mutilating a lot of the women and children. And, and then and then uh, the, the following day the grave diggers you know came along and, and stripped the bodies of all the ceremonial objects and buried them separately and they were all taken and moved to you know after the, after the fact they 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 got these artifacts and found a buyer out in Massachusetts out in Barrie Massachusetts uh, near the Quabbin and which is right along this ley line that goes from Boston up the Mohawk Trail along the Mohawk Trail up through the Mohawk River Valley through the Iroquois Confederacy over through the Great Lakes and down into Pine Ridge and right by wounded knee so the artifacts are being held in a place where originally was you know the king philip's war was it was the alpha point of the indian wars it was you know it was it was that war defined this idea of the only good indian is a dead indian and they went on from there there are a lot of massacres in massachusetts and on up through new york state and all across the country you know the holocaust of the native people 40 million people killed and so that's all tied up in, in, in Wounded Knee. And it, it's, it's in this, it's kind of like in this, this ghost dance of repeating this energy of, of this drama triangle of a hero, 
you know, perpetrator and, and, and victim. And the, the 1974 AIM takeover of the Wounded Knee was, was kind of like a, you know, just a, an echo of that. That, that that same energy. So we're we're right right now. We're actually this April sixth. I'm part of a delegation that's going to Barry, Massachusetts, to demand the return of these sacred artifacts back to the people of of the Lakotas and Dakotas and Nakotas. You know, that, well, it's the Bigfoot band. Our, our plan is to is to you know take some of the. You know, I mean, they're they 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 even have scalps and stuff involved in this collection. So, uh, you know, th- those will be ceremonially, you know, returned to the land. We have microbiologists that are going to analyze the, the blood that's on the artifacts to determine which family, uh, to determine the DNA so that the artifacts can go to the proper family for them to do, you know, to have a, a resolution, you know, of all of this energy. So, so it's kind of like it's this healing that we're trying to make so that the, the, the you know, that whole wounded knee thing is just suppressed, you know, the, the, the name, you know, think of the name wounded knee, you know, it's like the Indian people can't hold their own weight right. because they're, they're, they're in this state of constant suppression of human spirit. You know, they're, 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 they're not allowed to express life in their own worldview. You know, they're being forced into that pyramidal form. So I'm writing, uh, I've written an article that'll be published in the next publication of New Observations Magazine, which is an on, a free online magazine that, that you can read as a PDF or you can buy it as a paper form. But, but we're, I'm part of a, an issue that's devoted exclusively to you know, wounded knee, you know, what happened there, what really happened there and, you know, what, what you know, from an academic point of view, and and I'm I'm writing it from a geomancer's point of view, and how to how to rectify that. Like right now, the the graveside, the the align the alignment of the graveside is at 33 degrees north northwest. So it's like there was some mason on site that said, okay, dig the hole right here at 33 degrees. You know, and that goes right to right to uh, Rapid City and Rapid City is like uh, in the state of apartheid with the native people there between the natives and whites. And, and it's like, they, it's just death, you know, death for the native people if they go there. And just three degrees to the north, to the north, it goes right to uh, Bear Butte, which is the kind of the yeah. holy land of, of the Plains Indians. It's, it's where everybody went for, for vision quests and such. The great bear, the, the hero. So. Right. It's like, I, I'm, I'm trying to talk the, you know, as a geomancer, I'm trying to talk the Lakota people into getting this reorientation uh, somehow of the grave site so that the ancestors have a clear path and portal northward, you know, to, to release, you know, they're kind of, uh, these, these, these Lakota spirits are trapped. Uh, they, they're trapped by their own people because they've, you know, there's this wounded knee survivor, survivors association, you know, so it's like this, this victimhood thing and everybody's in a victim state. So by, by, by changing this orientation back to the, the great bear, the bear butte, uh, you know, there'd be this release of spirit that would happen in a, in a, in an opening of the, of the, in a return of the native consciousness to the, to the world consciousness, which we desperately need right now. So. 
So that's that's kind of that's my mission right now, and uh, and so we're going to take these the ideas to get these artifacts and uh, create a sacred bundle, and uh, you know get a contingent of Lakota people to carry it across the country to weave the native consciousness back into the land, to 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 uh, you know give give tribes along the way an opportunity to you know to create a happy trail of tears. You know, like, like, like to, to, to transform that, that, that energy of death, you know, to, to look at, you know, wow, you know, what, what did the native people provide, you know, for, for the world? You know I mean? It's like the whole world got to come together in this one place, you know, and they're the, they're our hosts, you know, and, and, you know, that, what an honored position, you know, that they're in to, to host the whole planet and, you know, and to, you know, step up to that responsibility and, and teach us, you know, teach us, you know, from, from, from the depth of their own knowledge, you know, how to live well in the earth is, is really their piece. So I'm just, you know, into encouraging that to happen. So. Wow. Peter, you are doing tremendous work and I'm, I'm so happy to hear that come to fruition specifically if there's anything we can do in Connecticut help with that Barry Massachusetts thing, whether it's just, just showing up in solidarity, I would love to be a part of that. It, I'm sure, certain the drive wouldn't be too far, but wow, that is so inspiring. And I think that's exactly what we need to do is re, re, you know, transmute the trail of tears from sad tears to tears of joy, you know, and, and, and like you say so beautifully, bring this energy of their consciousness into the world before it's, you know, crushed in the pyramid. No. Thank you. Good synopsis. Wow. <laughs> Peter, this has been a real pleasure. I'm sorry we had to cut it short, yeah. but. Yeah, it's great. Know. Thanks, Mark. Thank you so it's, much. Uh, you inspire me. Uh, I was able to speak, speak well and quickly and get a lot of information out. That, and so thank you. Thank you. Well, it is a pleasure. I mean, you do know so much. So I'm certain that I'll be emailing you again, whether for my show or another show, I'll be in touch. But until next time, have a great moment. And thank you so much for listening. All right. What an excellent conversation with Peter Shampoo. He really knows what is what when it comes to the landscape magic, the little secrets of the rocks, the mountains, and all of the different amazing features of the natural landscape, something that was a big part of my research last year, my research this year. You know, Peter Shampoo arrived to my girlfriend Tara and I very synchronistically through a suggestion made by our friend Michael Wan after we had told him about a number of books that we had found on our way through various used bookstores. Something that I really enjoy doing. And after recently moving into a new place, I realized that uh, as much as it is nice to own this many books, it is quite a lot of work. So help me lighten the load, folks. Join the Patreon book club at $33 a month I'll send you a book and if you stick around in the tier for more than a month then I'll hook you up with uh, with some extra stuff too sometimes I'll send two books 
some people who stick around for a long time, I'll send them a, a valuable book. Um, not that each book isn't valuable in and of themselves, but you know, something like a hardcover or maybe a book that I have trouble parting with, you know, that sort of thing. So definitely a lot of awesome bonus stuff to be had on the Patreon at every tier, whether it's $2, $3, $5, however much you can support us with. And uh, I've had a rough week, folks. Very busy. Sorry about the um, the hoarseness in my voice. Rough day. Uh, show us some love with a one-time donation. Check out the merch store. Those are all great ways to support the show. Next up in today's Wednesday double feature. I know last week we didn't do an extended outro, but uh, this week we got my buddy, new buddy Shane Jones, who emailed me about uh, how this podcast has inspired him. I appreciate the feedback. Thank you so much, Shane. And I got to put it out there. Shane is uh, relentless. He's a good dude in the best possible way. You know, he really kept on me, said, hey, Mark, we got to do a show together. I want to talk to you about this and that. I said, okay. First time came around. I got busy. I had to reschedule. It didn't bother him one bit. He stuck around and we did an episode a couple days ago. uh, Last night, actually. And uh, and it was great. It was really nice connecting with Shane. And uh, his podcast is just getting off the ground it's called inquiries of our reality and uh yeah best of luck to you shane i really appreciate you joining me on the show and it was a great conversation he shared his story with us told us about some of the weird fascinating bizarre and paranormal things that have happened to him we talked about his use of psychedelics and how that unlocked some doors for him And then we talked about the cannabis industry, uh, industry that he knows very deeply. He works in the Michigan cannabis industry. And uh, like I said, it's always cool when people reach out and say that the show inspired them to start their own. And if you're out there listening and you have a podcast, hit me up. I have a podcast cooperative called Alt Media United. And we're growing every day. More and more podcasts join in. There is no obligation to be a part of it. All you need is a podcast or any form of content creation, really. If you're an artist, get in touch with us. There are ways that you can help out. If you're a musician, it might be tough, but there are ways for you to help out. Now, I will say, if you have some music that you want to put on the show, just know it has to be commercial um, CC 4.0, commercial copyright 4.0, because we don't use any uh, any licensed music on this podcast. It's all CC 4.0, free for anyone to use, reuse, redistribute, even for commercial purposes, hence the... 4.0 status. There are other uh, sorts of copyright licenses. The, per, the proper term is escaping right now, but 
if you are a musician and you have music that you're willing to part with send it my way i'm always open to hearing it and i am looking for interpretations of the theme song um if i like your theme song submission not only will i use it on the show but i will plug your band or your work in every episode description that i use the intro song um, to qualify you got to use sound bites or sound clips from the podcast uh, you can go back and use the same one that you hear in the intro song that we use now the conversation between my friend matt and i that was a part of episode one my friend uh, ark from destiny lab took parts of that conversation and mixed it into the intro song that you know and love but i'm always open to changing it up you know and i think uh, a different intro vibe for a different uh show vibe you know like other shows really awesome shows like the higher side chats i know they do that greg puts uh you know different outro songs depending on what the vibe of the show was and i like that you know i'm, I'm very much someone who believes in taking what you think is uh working and inspiring and and mixing it into your art you know they say all art is stolen i like to say you know all art is collaborative because here we are in this connected collective consciousness all creating our own unique co-creation in the vast sea of consciousness and conspiracy because this is a conspiracy podcast folks and if you are looking for that conspiracy goodness don't worry this monday we've got a legend a living legend in the conspiracy research world joining us on the show for episode 155 if you're on rockfin you already know who that is but if you're not stick around for monday or sign up on rockfin get it for nine dollars a month you don't just get that you get a whole bunch of other awesome content creators tinfoil hats on there obviously isaac weishop is another person i watch on there i like watching broken sim sometimes i'll check out my friends in the cooperative legit bat is always streaming on rockfin expanding realities on rockfin all the time all sorts of great podcasts on rockfin and we're there too and if you like Getting the video version of the show, that's the best place to do it because YouTube is just bound to censor us. And unfortunately, the only way besides Vimeo to upload videos to Patreon is through YouTube. So we'll see. I'm sure there will be better platforms in the near future. And as I start to take more things off my plate here, I'll get more things done in that realm and, uh, it's all the more easier with your support. So like I said, join us on Patreon, Rockfin, with a one-time doma- donation through our website, uh, myfamilythinksomecrazy.com. And you can also just join in on Telegram and, and you know include yourself in the conversation. That's awesome as well. I'm always really happy to see people chiming in with different positive messages, telling each other about what's going on in their day synchronicities that they heard happen in their lives 
or rather happened in their lives while you know listening to the show hearing certain things that connected to their life i love seeing that kind of stuff so go over the telegram leave me a voice message if you want to air yourself on the show be sure to leave your name in the message and uh and i'll play it on the show but